Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to episode three, where I interview Dr. Ellie Campbell. She's the founder of Campbell Integrated Family Medicine. She's the epitome of a catalyst practitioner. Just when you think a holistic and integrative medical practice is only reserved for the elite or wealthy, she shows you her creative and innovative solutions to bring medicine to all socioeconomic statuses using the platform similar to Habitat for Humanity, where patients will learn how to exchange sweat equity for dollars in her clinic. She'll show you how the patient, the community, and your accountant will win using her educational scholarship tips. So stay tuned, listen along, and get inspired by Dr. Ellie Campbell. We are now recording, says the automatic Zoom robot. So let me get this going live on Facebook, Dr. Ellie Campbell. Oh, I'm such a fangirl of you, seriously. Uh, ditto. Oh, right my back goodness. at you. Oh, my wait goodness. to see you for a real yes. goodness hug. Absolutely. I cannot wait until we can actually be in the same conference together, sitting side by side and yes, just sharing all the good. Disturbing the conference speaker. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So how this is going to work is I would love to just pick your brain, let you share your generous heart with Facebook land and our wonderful group of creative medical professionals. And I'll be taking notes. I'll be your MC. I'll be manning the chat box. So I just want to introduce you to everybody that may not know you. This is Dr. Ellie Campbell, and she runs the Campbell Integrative Family Medicine Practice down in Georgia, correct? Atlanta? Uh, suburb of Atlanta. Yeah. Come in Georgia. And so I've known her as a colleague, as a friend, she's a dear soul. And for those that might know her in the functional sphere, she's so generous of her time and of her knowledge and all boats rise with Ellie because she really wants everyone to be their best self, not just with patients, but just other colleagues and providers. And we both hold this like space, hoping that uh, we can have the same time together in a conference because she's just super fun, very loving, such a generous spirit. And what I love most about Dr. Ellie is she infuses her mission and meaning of giving into everything she does in her practice. And yet with loving boundaries, which is a very tricky way to run a private practice is we can, we can bleed out as servers and healers. And what she's done is navigated this beautiful balance that she gives from the center of her heart. And everybody that knows her knows this and it's, it's all over her, her copy, her website, just the way she conducts herself and her business. But the boundaries are there in a loving way that you aren't going to overserve and and kill yourself in the process. And that's what we all need is not to burn out because as much as some people jump from that pan to the fire from conventional to functional or holistic, that has the high risk of burnout as well. So I'm done bragging about my friend from another, a sister from another mister, but I can't wait to share the same real space. And I just want you to say hi and introduce yourself with your own words. Yes. 
Hello, everybody in Facebook land. I'm Dr. Ellie Campbell. I am, as Laura said, double board certified in family medicine and integrative medicine. I have a solo concierge style membership based practice in suburban Atlanta. And so um, I was an early adopter of this in 2005 because my life before integrative medicine was in a community health center. So I served the indigent of my community. And for 13 years, I learned a lot of lessons, one of which was that I believe free is valueless when it comes to healthcare. And so what happened in my indigent patients is the more we gave them, the less they wanted to work for themselves. And I saw patients who, who once we started to provide free things to them, they spent great effort trying to scheme the system to figure out how to get free goods and services or food or Christmas presents or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be crushing to their spirits mm-hmm. and that they did not become their best selves when we provided free things to them. But I did indigent care, and that was our method, and that's what we did, and we worked hard at it. Um, And then one Christmas, one of my um, patients told me about a story where she had had gotten gifts from four different churches for her children for Christmas. And she cherry-picked the best things and then returned everything else for cash and bought what she wanted. And I just felt like that was a terrible way to scheme the system. Meanwhile, her husband was completely crushed because his mission is to be a provider to his family. Mm -hmm. And these free Christmas gifts stripped that away from him. So they crushed his ability to provide and protect for his family when their intention was a good one, Mm -hmm. but in practice, it just ruined that family. And so when I decided that um, for other reasons, not related to that, that I couldn't continue to do conventional medicine, right? I did 13 years. I followed the best evidence-based medicine of the best, smartest people in the world. And I watched my patients get fatter, sicker, more diabetic, more depressed, more heart attacks, more strokes. In those 13 years, did cardiovascular disease drop out of the number one killer in our country? No, nothing changed. And I realized I wasn't getting to the root of the problem. I wasn't solving anybody's real health crisis. I was just band-aiding it as much as I tried to do therapeutic lifestyle changes. You know, I was a crunchy kid, right? I grew up, um, you know, in college, I would go to the co-op and buy my own wheat and grind it to make my own bread. And, you know, I'd hug trees and hike and do all that kind of stuff. And I've always been interested in, my grandfather used to say, um, if you eat a leaf of cabbage a day, you'll never need to see the doctor. Right. And so something in my history always connected me to nature and natural remedies. And I wanted to honor that in my practice. So after 13 years, part of what happened was um, our community became increasingly Hispanic. I don't speak Spanish as a primary language, but my CEO did not reflect that in my schedule. So I had to see the same number of patients in a day as the people who spoke Spanish. Meanwhile, I had to sit and wait for a translator and run behind and be stressed and get there early and work through lunch and work late. And it was burning me out. Right. So I said, all right, what's, what do I need? What am I not getting? And how can I provide it for myself? And the only solution I could find was to start my own solo practice, to make my own rules 
and to not accept any insurance because that was binding my hands and making me decisions that I wouldn't make if I had free reign. So oh my gosh, can I pause right there? Can I pause right there before 2005? That is key for those people that are listening. People think that burnout or moving to a private practice is just an impulsive checkout counter thing. No, it's a very thought. I love how you really went through that process. What are you not getting? What are you not able to do? And you knew what skills were on the back burner waiting to just emerge. So I love that you outlined that for a lot of our, our viewers, our listeners that are wondering themselves, like, what should I be thinking about? So thank you for, for yeah, outlining Yeah, I mean, it was process. not an easy transition. At that time in our lives, my kids were still in grade school. My husband was Mr. Mom. He stayed home. I was the only breadwinner in the family. So I took literally a 90% pay cut for three years until my practice grew enough to pay me. And so Jim had to go back to work. Our kids went into daycare. Everything about the family dynamic shifted. Um, and I had to moonlight in addition to that. So I had my own regular job. And then on the weekends, I was moonlighting at urgent cares and wherever I could find uh, extra income just to make ends meet during those three years. And when I look back at our budget for those years, I don't even know how we survived. But my soul was happy. And every time I'd get ready to quit, somebody would come up to me. Um, like I was at a PTA meeting and I was thinking, I can't do this anymore. I can't. And, and I crossed this husband and wife in the hallway and about 10 yards up the way I hear he comes running up the hallway and he taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you're Dr. Campbell. And I said, yes. And I turned around and his eyes were all welled up with tears. And he said to me, thank you. You gave me my wife back. And I said, Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. He said, her migraines ruined our family. He said she couldn't work. She would, she couldn't provide anything to us. When she would come home from work, she'd lie on the couch with an ice pack. And this was a woman who was on three preventive drugs sure. plus migraine medicine every single day and still had disabling migraines. So what did I do? I identified her food sensitivities. I identified her adrenal burnout and I put her on um, vitamin B2, <laughs> you know, Nothing rock scientist. Right. And, uh, when her migraines went away and she went back to the neurologist to follow up and he said, you know, what are you doing? And she goes, vitamin B2 every day. And he goes, oh yeah, we do that for pregnant women. And she was indignant. She said, you knew about another therapy for migraines that you withheld from me because I wasn't pregnant. Are you kidding me? Right. And so, so those little God winks are like, all right, Ellie, you're in the right place. You're doing the yes. right thing. You got to keep going. Right. Yes. But, you know, I came from this background of indigent care and yes. in my model, without accepting any insurance, I was now a cash only practice. And I didn't want to be the person who only served rich people mm-hmm. in my community. Right. My, my heart is to serve those who need me, not just those with a big deep pocketbook. So I had to try to figure out how to find a way that wouldn't undermine the patients and the providers, uh, the the providers to their families, you know, the people who were, who were living, who were recipients. I didn't want to undermine anything of their lives. I didn't want to undermine myself because Mm -hmm. free is valueless. So I didn't want to give away anything free. I didn't want to undermine my staff because sometimes in the old days, we would give away something free on one visit, 
And then the patient would be pissed off the next time if it wasn't free. And the staff was scrambling or the family member would say, well, you gave that to Johnny free. How come I don't get it free? And then the staff at the checkout desk is all flustered because they don't know who got what free and how they're supposed to do it. And how do you discount it? Or Right. So you're you're making unnecessary challenges for your staff if you're hit or miss trying to be the good guy and help people out in their time of need. So. I, I came up, I'm a, I've been a volunteer for Habitat for Humanity for 35 years now. And so Habitat has a really lovely way of, um, of providing housing to those who need it. Instead of a cash down payment, you provide service hours. So depending on your community, it's 100 hours, it's 500 hours of manual labor working on your house or someone else's that they keep a log of. And when you've collected those hours, that is now your down payment. Then you purchase the house from Habitat. Habitat serves as the bank. You purchase the house from Habitat at zero interest. So this is what makes housing affordable, right? It's the cost of the materials and the labor is largely donated, but there's still a cost and um, the houses are sold to these families, but the cash down payment isn't required, it's service. So I said, well, what if I came up with a service type opportunity, right? So we now have a uh, scholarship membership program. We call it our tithe program. And the way that it works is this. So tithing is a biblical principle. Um, It says we're going to share 10% of what we have with the Lord. And the idea is the more you give, the more you receive. And I wholeheartedly have found this to be true in my own life, that the more we donate, the more we give away carefully, um, the more we receive. So what we did is um, our practice ties. We have 10% of our of our profits go into charity care. 5% of the cash profits that we make every month go into our tithing checking account. That money sits there until we have the team meeting. And at staff meeting, I tell everybody how much money they get to donate to the charity of their choice in honor of Campbell Family Medicine in their name. So everybody in the staff has their favorite charities. Sometimes they change it up. Sometimes they get go to the same place. We've donated to the Cat House. We've donated to Possum Society. We've donated to um, Down Syndrome Society. We donate to Habitat for Humanity. We donate to local um, uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association. So whatever anybody's heart is, we allow them to make donations in their name, in their honor. And that's is this really like a voting, like people vote or do they? No, everybody a- gets a, do- everybody gets some. So everybody gets some money and everybody gets to decide. And that's really lovely because the higher the profits in the practice, the more money each team member gets to give away. Ah. Right. And so, especially for some of our lower income staff people, um, when they're stretched living paycheck to paycheck, the opportunity to make a donation to a charity in their name is a real blessing. Huge, yeah. Right? And so it empowers them to want the practice to be even better because there's a financial reward in it indirectly to them, right? So, so that's 5%. Now, the other 5% of my patients don't pay me for their my services. Now, remember, I have a concierge-style membership program. So people pay me a monthly membership fee to be my patient. It's a retainer. They hold the spot. They pay me the same amount of money every month, whether they see me that month or whether they don't. 
They have a complete annual physical. It's the same as if they saw me for no reason or if they had a urinary tract infection. It's the same fee every month. Same, same, same. So um, instead of paying me in cash for my membership fee, I provide them with a scholarship membership log sheet. They go out in the community and they have to do 15 hours of community service. Once they've done 15 hours of community service, that earns them one quarter of membership, just like it was a check. Each of those service hours has to be logged on the scholarship sheet. It has to be signed off by a supervisor, and it has to be an approved activity. I have a list of approved activities, working in the soup kitchen, working in the local furniture resale store, work, whatever. I have a list of approved activities, but that's not appropriate for everybody. Sometimes the patient is too sick or too infirm to do their own hours. So a friend or family member can do them on their behalf. Sometimes the patient has a very specific desire to do something that's unique. Mm -hmm. Um, We have one family that really wants to go sing um, um, church music at the nursing home on Sundays. So we let some, but not all of their hours come in that way. I had one lady who is a little itty bitty COPD lady. She weighed under 80 pounds. She wore oxygen in her nose. She was super frail, but she knit and crocheted. And so her tithing hours came in the form of crocheting baby caps for the newborn nursery. So that was her hour. She crocheted them. And then when she had enough and she donated them, the nurses signed off in the nursery and I got those hours for her. So we find a creative way to, to allow the patients the to time, earn yes. their slot with dignity. That right? is amazing. So they donate this, this 15 hours. Is that corresponding to your monthly fee? How does that go? Right. So if we do um, 15 hours and we divide it by or multiply it by $50 an hour, okay. that approximately equals the amount of a three-month membership. So that means oh. I value their service to our community at a rate of $50 an hour. That's a really high value and provides them with the dignity that they're worth that amount of money. That's amazing. So if everyone on this call tithed 5, 2%, 5%, 10% of their labor in this way to the community, Imagine how many more uninsured indigent patients the whole community could see if everybody did that. And so it's a win-win-win, right? I win because I quantify the amount of charity work that I do. Uh, Like you, I would be tempted just to let anybody come see me who wanted to. If they need me, I'll take care of them. I don't care. I'm not worried about the money, right? And then I can't put my kids in college or you know, buy food for the table. So I quantify the amount of charity care because it's 5%. For every 20 patients that we see that are new members, we take one tithe. Number two, the patients get their care with dignity. So they're, they know how much it is. They have to work for it. They have to earn it. If they don't do their hours, if they don't turn in their, their tithing scholarship membership log, they don't get care from me. Just like patients who don't pay me membership don't get care doesn't happen very often, but from time to time, we actually withhold a prescription refill or a, you know, cough and cold visit until the patient pays us because that's how it's stated in their contract. And they know they're paying for care and they're paying for their slot. If they're not a member, they can't be seen. 
So do um, they do those 15 hours every three months or is it like yes. annually? Okay. So it's, it's quarterly. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, um, we do a, a reanalysis on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Not everybody needs to be on tithing program all the time. Mm-hmm. So we, similar to what a social worker would do, my office manager sits down face to face and said, you know, last year we provided you with this scholarship program. Has anything changed? Did anybody in your house get a new job? Did anybody get a raise? Did you get remarried? Did anything change that would change yeah. your financial circumstances that would allow us to put you on regular membership and offer this scholarship to someone else in need? And so I have a small handful of patients who have been on scholarship for 20 years, no, 15 years, because that's how long I've been in practice. But I, most of them are on it for a short while, six months or 12 months. We don't advertise our scholarship program. We'd have a line up the, out the door and down the sidewalk if we advertised it. So it's mostly word of mouth mm-hmm. that we do this. When we offer um, scholarship often, it's someone who has been a member before and then hits a, a time in their life where there's a disaster, oh, sure. a house fire, a tornado, a divorce. And they come to us all tearful and say, this is the best care I've ever had, but I no longer can afford it. I, I have to leave. I don't want to leave. I'm devastated, but I just can't afford it at, the, at this time. And we're like, hold on. We might got to trick up our sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And then we offer them the scholarship program and usually it's graciously accepted for six months or a year. And then they're back on their feet and then they offer it to the next person in line. So, wow. So this is, you know, I, (laughs) I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, self-reliance is really a moral principle, right? The ability, commitment, and effort to provide self-care. And if we take that away from people by giving it to them free, Yes. We demoralize them. And yes. this, this method has worked so well for Habitat for Humanity and for Ellie Campbell and Campbell Family Medicine to provide scholarship hours, volunteer hours to my community on my behalf, but I don't have to be the one out there doing the work. And now the patients can receive care from me, which is my gift, right? That's what I'm best at um, with dignity. And I love this. You're, you're meta. You're so meta out there right now, because when we make this shift of we have been de disempowering patients for a long time in a conventional setting, we really have. And a lot of us take that old antiquated thought process to a new model in our practice by saying, okay, well, I must see them to get their healing. You know, I tell them what to do. I give them their protocols. I, and that's still disempowering. We're not showing them that you have the healing. I'm your guide. I'm not magic. I'm not telling you some mystical thing that you are going to get better. It requires some effort. It requires some sweat equity, even without a scholarship program, patients have to be committed to health. And I think slowly that's the bleeding edge of what functional medicine and and integrative holistic medicine has long been saying, which is the philosophy that we do have self-healing mechanisms. We just got to have to get out of our own way. But also by adopting some of these older conventional practices of seeing a doctor one-on-one and your healing can't begin until you step into the exam room um, is not going to work in the long term when we're facing doctor burnout. There's less practitioners. Patients are more savvy and reading a lot more. They have the ability. They just need the guide. And you've made it meta where you're you're saying, you know, I'm doing a disservice if I don't empower you. If If I take that away from you and take that agency away, 
it is a power dynamic that is a lot less healthy. And now you've invited them to sit at the table of empowerment and to continue this, this wonderful healing and the confidence boost that I'm sure they have. And I just can't even imagine the change in how you probably have physically seen patients in your scholarship program. Yes. I mean, it's, they have just as much or more recovery stories than the patients who don't who don't, who aren't in scholarship. I, you know, often will get a patient who is a member who says, oh my gosh, you helped me so much. Now my brother, my sister, my child needs to see you. And, and I want it for them so much that I'm going to pay for their membership. And we don't do it. We discourage it. I did it early on in practice, but I tell them that when they don't have skin in the game, Yes. When they're not motivated as much as you want it for them, it will fail. I guarantee. Oh, I see what you mean. Having that person pay for their yes, correct. I agree. Yeah, right. it's as much as you want it in your heart. We're all on our own healing journey, and right. And so, if they're so um, financially disadvantaged that they cannot afford it for themselves, sometimes we'll offer the scholarship program to them, and. I think once in 15 years, anybody's accepted that because they're not ready yet. And that's the clue to the family member that it would have been a waste of their money and my time to try to force this patient to get care. Absolutely. I always tell patients, because as you know, when we're affecting a patient's patient's life, it's generations we're affecting. And I think that's a hard mindset for a lot of us to shift from a conventional burn and churn factory medicine type employment situation, knowing that our worth is how many patient lives we're responsible for, how much can we see in a day? That's kind of our identity and worth. And our VUs are based on it. Our payment structure is based on it. It's reiterated over and over. That is how good a physician is. How are your RVUs? Can you code better? Can you play the game better? Can you put more procedures in there? And I drunk the water and I got really good at the game and realized that's not the game that's winning. You know, it is not helping. And making that switch to here, it feels really lonely at first because you're not seeing as many patients and you have an identity crisis and everybody should expect that. You start to think, oh, I am not helping anybody, but you are because you're helping that one person and like generations of people Um, because we're dealing with not just healing on a physical level, but like you are doing the empowerment, the mental, the spiritual, the giving, the connectedness that we all need as humans. It's so powerful. Yeah, it is. It's so, it's so interesting to see that, Um, you know, I've had many circumstances over the decades where someone will come up to me that I'll meet at a, you know, jury duty or grocery store line or whatever and say, you're Dr. Ellie Campbell. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you saved my life. I'm like, you saved your life. I don't even know who you are. Have you been my patient before? Oh no, but you told my sister's brother's best friend that he needed to go off gluten. And when I learned about that and I read about it and I gave off gluten, I figured out I had celiac disease and I would never known it if it yes. hadn't for you, right? The ripple effect is huge. And, and especially in a small town, like I, I don't meet hardly a small section, but hearing, oh, I know about you because you help the same stories. And that's the power yes. of one person getting helped. You help so many other people. And like you said, not striking 
when everyone else's iron is hot and on New Year's Eve and everyone's signing up for getting better and healthier. I mean, that's not going to work. It's just like handing somebody a paintbrush and saying, I want you to paint this masterpiece. I mean, they've got the tools. They're just not ready to learn. They don't want to learn. It's not going to work. So the fact that you have that boundary saying, I'm happy to help, but they have to want to make that connection and do it on their own. It's right. And so if they can't do it financially, I have an, an avenue for that. And that's made a big difference. Practically speaking, though, it is important, I think, that from the business side of things that you set up a separate tithing checking account. Mm. And this is a really fun thing to do on a personal level and a, on a business level, because um, that money, when it goes into the tithing checking account, that's charity money. It's not taxed. Right. So. So then the fun part is how do we distribute that money, right? It becomes a, it's no longer a, oh, I got to do a donation. I got this request for, you know, will you give me money for your medical school yes. student fund or whatever yep, it is that yep. you want, right? Right. You've got the money. It's sitting in the account. It's just waiting to be spent. And you're like, yes, I want to spend it there. Or if somebody comes knocking on the door and wants to sell you something that you know you shouldn't eat for their school raffle, you're like, no, but here's $20. Take this instead. I don't want anything for it because you've got the money in the account and it's ready and waiting for charity. That is beautiful. And that's the money that you talk about having the staff each get a little choice in. Yeah. And I get some of it too. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So I get to decide and and it's a fun thing to do. This sounds really fun, really amazing. I think a lot of my favorite people in the world do a similar version of some kind of tithing or donations. And like you, nothing should be free because it's not really valued as much. So so even just attaching a teeny amount to a discovery call or a strategy session, that's my version right now of what I'm doing. And it gets collected and donated. But I love your solutions to expand this program and to off kind of like give my patient members a choice in the matter too. I might even open that up. I have usually a giveaway once a quarter for a patient that came to my open office hours with great attendance and they get a little local uh, basket of things that I've collected. And and that might be the, another, a benefit they get to choose a charity and how cool is that? Right. Yeah. But I have a question. This is a hard one. If you could look back in time, what is a mistake that you made that you're like, if I could just tell you to to avoid this, this would save a lot of headache. Is there any part of this process where you're like, "Mm, if I'd done this differently, it would have been easier. Um, well, we started out with less. So we started out at 1% and worked our way up to 10%. Because when my nurse is making more money than I am, it's really hard <laughs> to donate <laughs> to charity. So I would say that no matter how hard it feels, no matter where you are in your own financial journey, that you just start someplace mm-hmm. and give something because the the rewards that you reap do truly exceed the, the commitment to the dollars. So um, I think one mistake we probably made is that I've had the my, my 20 year patients who have been our 17 years have been on scholarship. Um, in some ways, I think I've been too generous with them and wish that over time I'd increase their scholarship hours instead of keeping it the same, just because I sort of feel like they got so comfortable doing it that it, it wasn't, um, it didn't hurt. You know, most of us, if we're going to pay $268 a month for a membership to see our doctor, it's going to hurt a little bit. And 15 hours to them was not a big deal and they just Mm -hmm. continued to do it. So that's just 
maybe a mistake that I made. That's insightful. Um, You're right. As as people get comfortable, we get it's easier to do what we already do. You know, right. So um, one other thing that I didn't mention that we do is once or twice a year we'll have an open house. And during our open house, we ask all of our um, vendors the who for the nutritional supplements mm-hmm. to give us um, stuff to give away. So we create these gift baskets, and we usually get six or seven of them that have protein shakes or shaker cups or supplements, or sometimes they'll give gift cards to the movie theater or whatever. We make these little gift baskets. And during our open house, when we show off our beautiful space and everything we do, and we have cocktails and, you know, healthy snacks, whatever. And usually I'm making a pitcher of green smoothies on the side. Um, During that time, we have a raffle for these, for these gift baskets the raffle money that we collect goes into the tithing checking account and we use that money to pay for labs or supplements for our scholarship patients if they can't afford them. So there's a little bit of extra money in the tithing checking account that's earmarked specifically for patient needs. So I love that. That's, that's really great. Cause then you've thought of all the the different areas as best as you can. And, and it is that philosophy of you're helping so much, but they're empowered to want to help more. And, and just that extra little bit, if they have to pay out of pocket, it won't hurt as much as if they have to pay the whole test kit, you know? Right. Um, and usually what we try to do is say, all right, well, this test costs this, mm-hmm. how much of it can you afford? Oh, I don't know. I think I could maybe come up with an extra $30. Great. You pay 30 and I have this donation to help with the rest. Oh, that is wonderful. Do you have any ideas of where you want to take this for the future? What would be your, your blissful utopia? Would you? Yes. So yeah, my blissful me. utopia is to share this with the world, right? To get every functional medicine practitioner to have a scholarship program of some type, because so many of our creative people in our community are disabled because of their health. And if a functional medicine practitioner could take them under their wing and truly help them on their health journey, they could regain their health and get back in the workforce. And that is a gift to our community. And if we can multiply that by tenfold for every practitioner that sees indigent, that sees functional medicine patients and includes the indigent in their panels, um, I, that would be my utopian dream to get everybody in the community that needs functional medicine access to it. Oh my gosh. I think that would be amazing. I think the biggest thing I can foresee, and maybe I won't give my, let me hear your, your biggest, uh, worry about that. Like, I love that. I'm, I'm living with you right there in that blissful utopia. That's my favorite place to be is daydreaming. But then there's that practical side of me that says, okay, where could that go wrong? And I have a thought, but what, what would you say? Where do you think that could be troublesome? Um, well, part of functional medicine, a huge part of it is therapeutic lifestyle changes, and there's no additional cost for that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to teach people to eat better food, drink cleaner water, exercise most days of the week, spend time in prayer and gratitude and meditation and sleep better, right? There's no cost to that. And those efforts can be provided very cost-effectively in group settings, in with health coaches. It doesn't necessarily have to be the physician themselves. But once those are not enough, the next steps are often costly. And so that would be where the problem lies is if there's not enough money in your tithing checking account to get a patient, a digestive stool analysis to identify the parasite that's been causing their 
trouble, right? Yeah. Um, that's where the problem is going to be is it will be necessary, but not sufficient to get yeah. them all the way where they need to be. I agree. I think that's one of the the areas that can be troublesome. And, and there's that bottleneck, which I know a lot of other great thinkers and uh, change makers are working on this whole, you know, unveiling a more of a group mentality and allowing an easier entry into lifestyle medicine, whether it's health coaches, but, but you're right, saving that, you know, clinician to really investigate with, you know, data, science, medicine, and, and prescriptive capabilities is something that hopefully we wouldn't need as much if we get more people getting easier access. But I also see another troubled area that for a provider, they have to be really grounded in their truth, in their in their ability to want to give generously, but also have boundaries that you can't, there's going to be times that you can't serve everybody and, right. and not take some of this like, you know, fallout that can feel ouchy at certain times. I'm sure when you're giving a scholarship program, I'm sure you come across times when you want to extend it and, and that gets really hard on your psyche. Do you have any ways where you really have a decision process or do you have a board that takes that off your shoulders that makes the recipient known or how do you handle that kind of angst that can happen? Um, so far, I, we really haven't come across that. Like I said, we keep it tight to our chest. Right. Everybody knows I have this teeny tiny concierge practice. I, it's not overrun with patients. I see, you know, six or 10 patients in a day, three days a week that I see patients, right? Mm -hmm. So one day, Wednesdays, I'm here in the office, I do my administrative work, I do accounting and business stuff and portal messages and prior authorizations and that kind of stuff, but I don't see patients. Mm -hmm. And Tuesdays, I work from home. So that's my usually my lab day, but I don't go to the office to do it. So I've set a lot of boundaries for myself. Mm -hmm. And my patients know this. And so they respect that. And they know that when I am whole, I can provide better care to them. So if I'm burnt out, I'm not any good to anybody. So oh. they honor and respect that I spend time in self-care. Oh, my gosh. I so love this on so many levels because that is the fear that I find when working with a lot of other providers that I'm trying to help them navigate those boundaries. There's that fear of setting the boundary and offending somebody. And, oh, I'm not so sure I can do that because they, again, are still indoctrinated with some of the ways that we are unfortunately codependently enmeshed right. in this system of conventional care that you have to be available 24 seven right. you have to answer your messages in an hour and having your own practice on your own terms, you're the boss of the house. You can make yeah. those boundaries. And yes. if you do it lovingly, you're actually cultivating people that respect it and people that want that in their own life. And you're kind of being a beacon role model for them to say, hey, you know, I can ask for something. You can ask for your own rules in your own house. You can say, I, I don't want to do labs except on Tuesdays, or I don't want to come into the office or I don't, you know, you can ask for anything. It's your house. So right. I love that you're saying this with such clarity and, and just unapologetically that, you know, you bring such value and healing that people that are in your house, accept your boundaries. Right. It, it does help. It, it, indeed. I know many practices are micro practices. It's one person. That's it. They do everything. And I think those boundaries are harder in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, less so if you're only a functional medicine consultant sure. than if you're a functional medicine consultant and a primary care provider yeah. like I am. Right. Yes. I do primary care and functional medicine. I do pap smears every week. I do. Right. I take care of all that stuff. So it's a little harder to set boundaries. Sure. However, I have a great team. My office manager takes the evening um, emergency after hour calls. So she screens them all first and sends me what I have to take. 
We don't get a lot of after-hour calls, but we get probably more than we should in a concierge practice. Some people just want their hands held or mm-hmm. advice for something that could be easily Googled. Right? Uh-huh. They want to hear it from us. They want to hear it from us. Um, I have a great, an amazing front office receptionist who, you know, holds mm-hmm. the holds the door for uh, doesn't let people through the boundaries. So that wow. helps. And then I have a nurse. She's an she's a nurse, scribe, certified functional medicine health coach. So she's the blessing from heaven that scribes my notes, that then communicates all everything that we've shared with the patients, follows up, and she can handle most of the calls and the triage. That's that, lovely. You know. That is lovely. And and you're you're describing yet another unique practice way that works because this is the other thing is again, we're very dogmatic. This is the right way. This is the wrong way. This is how you do a private holistic practice. This is how you not do it. There's no right or wrong way. You do what works. And in your team, you found a great team. There are similar pillars throughout every successful holistic practice is boundaries, knowing what you want to give, operating in your zone of genius, you know, your strengths, um, I do believe that giving back is huge in a holistic practice in a boundaryed way like you're doing. And then training onboarding staff that really help you deliver the kind of medicine you want to. And other than that, it's all details. It's all you know weeds and, and trees in the big overarching forest that you can design the practice of your dreams. Is there yes. anything that you wish? Um, well, I want to ask, do you also do acute walk-ins? Like since your primary care, do you have like walk-in um, They don't walk in per se, except for twice a year, they all call, right? So they call and they say, we have the after hours call. It's like, I have a urinary tract infection. We're like, come on in. Nice. Nice. Even on my Tuesdays, they'll sometimes come when I'm not in the building, they'll come in, do a strep test, a urine test. My staff will snap a picture of it, send it to me at home and go, now can you call her? (laughs) Lovely. Yes. So yes, there's so many ways with technology. It gives us the paintbrushes to paint whatever kind of picture we want, but having clarity on what we want is kind of sometimes hard for people. They don't know where do they want their future to go. Is there anything that you are looking to change in your current practice or or your wishful thinking about adding certain things or what are you Um, obsessed with? Yeah. So two things. Um, Number one, alternative streams of revenue, right? Mm. That's something that I'm really working on for the future. Because we have, I guess I'm a slow learner. It took me a decade to figure out that the most inefficient way to provide healthcare is one-on-one in the exam room, doctor to patient. Mm -hmm. And I'm really smart and I've done this 35 years and I've got a lot of wisdom to share and to restrict that to this teeny tiny bit of patients in my membership practice is inefficient and doesn't serve the legacy that I want to be to my community of all this wisdom and experience that I've garnered, right? I'm I'm 60 years old. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm ready to do less work and yet teach people more. So trying to figure out how to leverage the beauty of Zoom calls and group classes and other things that are even not in the exam room, but are completely, that are often recorded maybe, recorded lessons that people can pay for uh, to to help me spread my legacy and also earn an alternative stream of revenue at night while I sleep. We call it pajama money, right? So so that's one thing I'm working on. Um, I'm writing a book to that end, right? Because a 
book revenue, although it's small, is money you make in your sleep, in your pajamas. Mm -hmm. So alternative streams of revenue, that's one thing. And then the second thing is that I'm ready to get a junior partner in my practice and um, work even a little bit less. I still like the idea of three days a week in the office. That's great. But I want more vacation time. Traveling the world is my jam. That's something I love to do. It's really hard to go far, far away when you're the only provider Mm -hmm. and you have to hire somebody or barter with somebody to for cross coverage. And so to have another physician in the building will give me the freedom to step away a little farther, a little longer. And so that's that is exciting. Is it, am I allowed to, to pitch people towards you if they're, if they oh, I've already this? picked her. We're, we're, oh, okay, we're, okay. <laughs> yes, we're, we're waiting for a few things Yay. in her life to line up. So that's I built it. I just built a new building. We moved in in October. I bought a little farmhouse a quarter mile from the hospital. And um, so you can see outside the beautiful trees and all that out there. Um, So I bought this um, little farmhouse and we remodeled it and um, we moved in October and I built an office just for her. So she's, I'm already ready. We just got to let her finish her contract where she's working now and get through some personal stuff and then she'll be coming. That's exciting. So would she be like an employee of your practice? Is that Uh, probably? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, initially an employee, eventually a partner. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, you've given us so much just generous content, Dr. Ellie. Thank you so much. I want to honor your time. And I know I usually, it's a busy hour for people eating lunches and in their clinics and people will be watching this afterwards. We'll have it stored forever and have your contact information. Um, but thank you for, for sharing. You're welcome. And, I really love what you're doing in the world. I think so many people will be inspired by this chat. I know I am. I know I'm going to think of different new ways to incorporate some of the tithing. I think this is exciting. And yeah, the scholarship hours really was the game changer for us. You know, it, it always makes me cringe just a little bit when I see somebody offering free clinic days mm-hmm. because I just feel like the, the people who are standing in line have gifts and services that they could provide to the community if we just ask for them mm-hmm. and we don't. And so it disempowers them. And now there's that the doctor will tell you what to do thing. And you and I both agree that doesn't serve most people well in the long run. No. Temporarily. Yeah. You got, you know, you need stitches. Okay. Yes. (laughs) There's certain things, right? Yeah. So. Yes. No, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing You're so your, welcome. your methods, your soul. You're a wonderful light in the holistic world. And As I are you, my darling. Well, thank you. And I hold intention. We will share the same light in the same room sometime in 2022. We have to. Um, yes. And until then, thank you again, Dr. Ellie. And thank you for everybody that was participating. Um, if there's any further questions, I can get them to Dr. Ellie. But I hope everybody uses this as inspiration to color outside the lines of what they think is possible in a medical career. So once again, thank you, Dr. Ellie. I hope you have a lovely day. You as well. Bye. See you.